Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. The title of today's message is rest. Let's just get right to it. I'm going to offend you this morning because you're doing things the wrong way. Okay, no amens to that. Let me just say, I try to say it nicer. Listen, I'm going to offend you this morning because you're doing some things the wrong way. And the reason you're doing some things the wrong way is because you're a human being. And human beings sometimes suck at a lot of things. Sometimes. Sometimes we're brilliant. Sometimes we're actually reflecting the image of our creator. Uh, But uh, sadly, more often than not, uh, we struggle. And one of the main areas we struggle with when it comes to the vision we have for our life, the vision for what God is doing in our church, the vision for what's ahead of us. uh, Let me just say, if you want vision that's going to be better than 2020 vision, you need to understand this simple truth. Vision and rest go hand in hand. You can literally get so tired you can't see straight. Who's my witness? Okay, if I was a black guy, you'd respond better, right? You're so racist. I'm white, so you just sit there? Is that how this works? You can be so tired you can't see straight, and I know I'm not the only one who's had this happen to them. Uh, who's, Who's been there? Come on. Somebody... Can I get a witness? Yeah, okay. Tess is, Tess is leaving her French Catholicism back, upbringing behind her, and she's raising the roof. Come on, sister. Raise the roof. All right. Um, Generations Church is built on a number of key foundations, of course. Jesus, the Bible, um, uh, relationship. But here's a couple that we're built on. We're built on uh, a generational relationship. And another one that we're built on is we're built on a foundation of a relational church that teaches people how to slow down and do relationships in a better way. Because there's a lot of people who are only as deep as their Facebook friends list when it comes to relationship. And that just doesn't cut it when the going gets tough. If you want proof of that, look at any segment of any population in North America and ask yourself, why is the suicide rate doubling and tripling? Why are people more without hope than they've ever been? You can blame the economy. You can blame uh, marriages. You can can blame difficulty in relationship. But the truth of the matter is when people become so isolated that they are so desperate that they take their own life because there is no hope, it is simply for a lack of authentic relationship. It is the realest form of loneliness that there can ever be. And we have a key that can unlock the door to freedom. We want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Having the time, having the energy, having the, the provision to pour into the life of someone who might need what you have to give. I used to wear glasses when I was a teenager, not because I had real bad eyes, but because my eyes were lazy. And uh, for a while, and this was Amy's favorite history of my life, I wore some glasses for night driving that had a yellow lens in them. And I thought they were cool. But Amy did not think they were cool. In fact, it's amazing that she stayed dating me because she thought I was such a geek for wearing my yellow-tinted glasses. But my yellow-tinted glasses allowed me to drive at night. And in those days, I was working as a heavy equipment operator and pastoring, possibly. I don't remember what all I was doing when I, in the yellow-tinted glasses stages. But um, it, I, I've always had like three jobs, right? So, so I, was, I was busy, and it was so hard some nights to drive home from a night shift And for those of you who don't know what a night shift is, a night shift is where you work 12 hours where no one else wants to work. 
That's what night shift is. And it's great, and it's also not great. Nobody can bug you, really. It's, it's kind of awesome that way. But when you're driving home for an hour after working a 12-hour shift through the dead of night, and, and get this, uh, th- this is why I don't have a lot of, you know, gentle, loving, tender mercy for people who, who, who just feel overwhelmed by church. I would do church three services on a Sunday. I would do a rehearsal midweek, and, and then we get to Sunday, and we do three services, 9.30, 11.30, 6.30 p.m., and then while Amy and I were first married, I would drive out to the bush and run a delimmer for my dad through the night shift on Sunday night. Now, I don't know if you realize how crazy that is, but those mornings, Monday morning, for my quote-unquote day off from church, uh, driving home, those were hard drives. And it's because my eyes were so tired. I was so at the end of my physical limitations. And uh, I found that those glasses helped me out a little bit. In fact, they helped me out a lot. And at times, they probably saved me from a great deal of harm. My simple point for you this morning is, is where we are tired and we need to adjust the things that surround our vision, we just need to kind of grow up or maybe become a little less proud and make the adjustments to allow us to have better vision. Whether it's yellow glasses that make your girlfriend think you're a geek or your wife, whether it's changing the pattern of your life, what you're chasing, what you're not chasing, where you're investing your time, whatever it is, I want to tell you this morning that it is worth it to change some things if it results in better vision for your life. We read this morning in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to spend almost all of our time in Hebrews chapter 4 today. And I want to say this as we're beginning. Please, this week, read all of Hebrews chapter 4. It's not that many verses. You, most of you guys could read this while you're sitting in the bathroom any morning of the week. All right? And if that's what, hey, if bathroom reading brings you closer to Jesus, I'm all for it. Don't be ashamed. Read your Bible in the bathroom. Just read it, please. Hebrews 4 verses 1 and 2 says this. Therefore... Let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. In short, let me sum up for you. Be afraid. Be very afraid. If we are short of entering the promised rest... Now, I know some of you right away, you're a little dogmatic, you're a little theological, you don't like it when I make extreme statements like be afraid, and you'll say something to me right now in your mind like, but Pastor Trapp, the Bible says there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Yes, it does say that, and I'm really glad that you brought it up in your mind. Maybe the answer to this supposed dichotomy then that we have just discovered is that if we were more perfect in love, we'd just simply be better at resting. See, the lack of rest is a lack of love. Let me say it again for you because I want this to stick. The lack of rest is a lack of love for yourself, for your family, for anyone who's important to you, anyone who needs you, and it's actually sin against God. A lack of rest is a lack of love. You can't rest. You're, you're so busy. We live in this world that is at an epidemic level of unrest. People get bored and overactive all at the same time. That's why, you, you, I don't know if you realize this, that's why people have time to protest everything. Because there's nothing else going on. There's nothing else worth doing. 
So, so we as human beings will tend to find value in things that impassion us. And if we have poor vision, we become impassioned about almost anything. It's, it's an epidemic in our world today. It really is. So I'm telling you, in short, to be afraid because the Bible says, let us fear if. Now, the if is important. And we might be able to argue from Scripture that, well, the Bible says there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. That's true. So if we have fear, we are lacking in love. You follow? Now, I think that if we were more perfect in love, therefore, we'd be better at resting. And we'd also become better at loving because the more rested we are, the better we love. Amy says amen. All right. Anyways. Let me, let me read this in a little bit different translation because maybe that will help. And in fact, why don't you just read it with me as we put it on the screen. Hebrews 4, 1 to 3 from the New Living Translation, which, by the way, if you're a relatively new follower of Jesus, I would highly recommend you read in the New Living Translation. It's, it's very uh, modern in its language. It's, it's a vernacular of today, so it, it makes it easier to understand. So let's read together. Uh, Hebrews 4, 1 to 3. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this is good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share faith of those, they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Only we who believe can enter his rest. And if we hear the words, it makes no difference to us if we don't have faith. If we don't put our faith, if we don't put those words into the action of our faith, it means nothing to us. It accomplishes nothing. I liken this to someone who ends up with a winning lottery ticket in their pocket. Let's say $70 million. Somebody won that this last week in Ontario, I heard. Good for them. Hope they tithe to their church. Um, <laughs> Maybe even be more than a tither. I'm just saying, in case any of you ever win the lottery, just saying. Um, <clears throat> anyways, uh, but what, here, here's the tragedy. Do you know every year there are lottery tickets all over North America that go unclaimed, worth millions of dollars? Somebody's wife put it through the wash. Somebody forgot and it got stomped into the floor mat of their truck and got all muddy and ruined. Uh, somebody died and there it sits on the nightstand. Uh, the, the, what a tragedy that is to possess a $70 million lottery ticket and not ever be able to cash it in. That's a, that's a tragedy, isn't it? Wouldn't, that, wouldn't you feel a little embarrassed if they're only good for a year, I've been told? Um, can you imagine if you won it and one year, a day past one year later, you realized it and went to take it in and realized it was no good anymore? That's it. That'd be frustrating, to say the least. Uh, and there's no exception, by the way. That money just goes back into the pool, and it all starts over again. And people in Quebec and Ontario win it, and that's the way life is. Um, most importantly, the kingdom of heaven is not a lottery. I'm only using a lottery as an example, not, not as an emphatic truth. And so understand the kingdom of heaven is not a lottery. It is not a kingdom of chance and of odds, but one of sonship and election. It's one of sonship and election. That means we are adopted, we are, cho we are chosen as sons, and God chooses to elect us as his own possession, as his priesthood, as his sons and daughters, as his leaders in the earth. And because of that, because of the fact that we are adopted through the grace of God in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, 
Church ought to be a place of rest. When you come to church, you should come to church for the purpose of rest. Now, before some of you run away with this in your mind, just put the brakes on and tell yourself, just hold on, he's going to say something else that's going to correct my course a little bit. Because remember, I told you, I'm going to offend you this morning. It's my goal, my vendetta, my, my personal desire to offend you just a little bit. When you come to church, it should be rest. Why? Because worship is rest. Let's throw it up there. Worship is rest if it's really worship. Now, a lot of us have been doing that wrong for a lot of years if we've been in the church. Worship is rest if it's really worship. What I mean by that is if you're coming to church and you're having a worship experience, but you're not leaving different than you came. If you're not leaving filled up, if you're not leaving replenished, you're doing worship the wrong way. In fact, you might be doing church the wrong way altogether. I don't understand how, because we as a church are so perfect, how could you not get this? I'm preaching to you this this morning, not, not because of a profound revelation that's going to change your life, but because of a profound revelation that is changing my life. I'm a, I'm a horrible, chronic non-rester. I'm a, I'm a recovering non-rester. That, that's the way I'm supposed to say it, I think. But if church isn't restful for you, maybe you're not doing it right. Maybe it's not Pastor Trav's fault that church is not restful for you. Maybe it's not the leadership's fault. Maybe it's not that family with the obnoxious kid's fault. Maybe it's too far. <laughs> Just checking. Nobody got up and left. All right. But maybe it's not someone else's fault that you're tired. We have a tendency to blame things and people when we're tired, don't we? You know, I could go, Terry, man, hey, you look real tired. You doing okay? Yeah, it's just this flu. So, so Terry's tired, he blames the flu, right? Brian, you look tired, buddy. What's going on? Oh, it's just my wife. <laughs> wow, I thought she was great, swell. But okay, if you say so, I guess. We can go all around the room and play this game. And the truth is, most of us would answer that question the same way. Wait, why are you so tired? And we would, we would, inter, we would inject some, some part of our reality that is playing us out, that is tired. But the problem is, is when we deflect responsibility for who's tired and the reasons why, we're missing a huge part of God's message for us. His promise for us is one of rest. It's his provision in our life to be able to rest as believers. I don't know if you know, anyone who follows God, it was in the Ten Commandments of all places. Commandment number four. After you, you have no other gods, after you honor God, after you love your neighbor, all those things, you come down to the fourth commandment. I'm sure it's the fourth commandment this morning. You better double check in case I'm wrong. The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You see, there's a provision in God's heart for us where we don't have to strive and we don't have to carry on like the whole thing depends on us because carrying on in that manner is what is destroying your life. It is what is destroying your relationship. It is what is destroying your family. We're good. It is what is destroying your finances. It is what is destroying your marriage. Did I already say that? It is what is destroying your marriage. It is what is destroying your marriage. 
Because unrested people are grouchy people. Unrested people are dissatisfied people. Unrested people are complacent. Unrested people are unwilling. Unrested, I mean, we could go on and on and on and on because I know us to a T. Because I know me. I think we need to take responsibility for rest starting with me. And by me, I mean you, for you. Because most church people just blame the pastor. It's easier that way, right? It's always easier. We blame. But think about this for a minute. What if you just held yourself accountable for your own tiredness? I mean, whose fault is it really that you're tired? Jacob's yawning over there. Whose fault is that? Well, it's Jacob's fault because he stayed up later than he was supposed to last night. And because he's a teenage boy. Also a reason why. Which is not my fault. Um, you can... <laughs> I can't believe he publicly going to disagree with me anyways. Um, <clears throat> we'll have a chat later. Listen, when you show up to church and you have no concept of rest, you will not receive what God has for you here. You will not receive it if you choose to live in perpetual unrest. Unrest is violent. Unrest has no peace in it. Unrest is a lot of horrible things that reveal the worst in humankind. The best way to experience real worship is to place yourself in the presence of God. Because real worship brings the presence of God. And the presence of God is the epitome of rest. If you are struggling with unrest, one of the first things you should do is make a willful choice of your own will to become worshipful of God. And I, I'm telling you, when you choose of your will, when you, when you make that choice to become worshipful, something will begin to change in your reality. And you will begin to slide into rest. Because we find rest in his presence and worship brings his presence. I'm not just talking about singing songs or clicking on a iTunes playlist. I'm talking about making the decision in your own heart, in your own soul to just stop. You know, you can do this and it will never, it'll never take anything from you. It will never require more energy from you. It will never, it will never end you if you just stop. If you just surrender, you could do it forever. And it wouldn't take anything away from you just to, just to stop, just to surrender. When we become worshipful, when we stop focusing on all the other things and realize the presence of Jesus, that he is here, that he is always with me, it begins to change our perspective. Worship is rest if it's really worship. The next thing I want to tell you is rest does not mean zero effort. Rest does not mean zero effort. Now, if we're going to be really honest with each other, how many of you would say that you thought rest meant zero effort? Yeah, if we're going to be really honest, honestly, that's what most of us jump to. Rest means doing nothing. That is absolutely not true. Rest does not mean do zero 
The Sabbath rest that this passage of Scripture is talking about is not without effort, but to be clear, it also cannot be earned. And we need to understand that there is a difference between rest and zero, and there is also a difference between effort and earning. In terms of salvation, you cannot earn salvation, but it does require some effort on your part. You can... You know, I, I can be married, and I will be married, but it's entirely different when it comes to my effort, isn't it? And how many of you know how easy it is to be married with no effort? It's not easy. In fact, it requires effort for it to be any good at all. Um, the Sabbath rest is not without effort. Also, it cannot be earned. Jesus is the one who earned the right of rest. Everyone say the right of rest. Did you know that it's your right to rest? Not a constitutional right. It's, it's, it's not obligatory according to some legislation in our nation that you can rest. But it is a divinely inspired legislation. Whereas you were created in the image of one who created everything and then himself rested. You see, it's an identity thing for those who are followers of Jesus, for those who place their faith in God, that we become people who know what it means to rest because it's his command and it's his example to us. In Jesus earning rest for us, is there any effort involved on his part? I would argue that there's a great deal of effort on the part of Jesus so much so that he sweat drops of blood. If that's not effort, I don't know what is. That's, that's some serious try harder. Right? My kids come to me, Daddy, I can't do it. I'm like, are you sweating drops of blood like Jesus? <laughs> no? Then, then try harder. <laughs> just kidding. I don't do that to my kids. Just, just to my wife. <laughs> Toughen up. I'm just kidding. I don't do that either. Um, there, see, there's, there's try involved. But it's not the try that matters for saving. You need to understand this. And you need to know this in your soul. You see, you can expend virtue, you can expend energy, and still be at rest. It, to be fair, that's in varying degrees. But you can still be at rest and still be expending energy. A good example of this is simply going to sleep. When you sleep, is your body consuming, burning, using energy? Yes. Are the byproducts of that use of energy existed? Yes, they are. But yet you're at rest. We need to separate ourselves from this idea that somehow resting means watching Netflix and just zoning out. That's not rest either. Becoming a vegetable in front of a TV screen, or whatever we call screens these days, in front of a screen, is not rest. What it is, is mind-numbing. In a way, it's a drug. In a way, it's a simple distraction from what it might really mean to be at rest. We need to understand this because the Bible says that all things are sustained by the power of God's Word. So just let me ask you this. How much effort does it take for God to sustain all things by the power of His Word? How much effort? You said none? You don't know anybody? Ton, draw, oh, drops of blood. Doug Deller, that's a deep answer. That should be a t-shirt. 
How much effort does it take for Jesus to love you? It takes drops of blood. I like it, Doug. You should, you should do that. Uh, be a sweet t-shirt. Anybody else? How much effort does it take for Jesus to sustain all things by the power of his word? I know you all know this is a trick question, so you're all afraid to answer. None of it? All of it? Does it matter? I think that based on what we can see scientifically, by, like I mean by observation, that there is a great deal of effort, great deal of effort in the this, in this sustenation of all things. But does that diminish his power in any way? See, we have a tendency to humanize every philosophy. We have a, have a tendency to humanize all doctrine. We have a tendency to humanize and try to beat it into the little square box of our mind when the reality is, is he's just bigger than that. He's just so much bigger than that. Does Jesus expend energy? I think he does. And I think it matters not to him. He can be at rest and the world keeps spinning. He can be at rest and solve every one of my problems. He can be at rest and heal my diseases. He can be at rest. Why can't I be at rest? Some of you will go home with that question being the only takeaway from the message today. And you're going to entirely miss the point if that's how it goes. If all you hear today is, well, can Jesus sustain all things with effort? No, you're missing the point. I'm raising this with you to help us establish this reality. He can rest and still get stuff done. Now, if he who rests but still gets something done tells us to rest, why would we then jump right to, but if I stop, nothing will happen? Church, if we stop out of reverence for what God says, let me tell you, great things will happen. Because, you see, God can do infinitely more with six days of your life than you can with seven. God can do more with with you having that miserable 90% of your finances. He can take that 10 and do exceedingly and abundantly above all you ask or think. He, He does this because he understands what it means to be at rest and have power and be in control. Perhaps our problem comes then from how we define that word rest. Most of the time, if we think rest, we do. We think go to the couch, lay on the bed, watch Netflix. Um, you know, and and I'm just, I just want to say it again, that's not rest. When your definition of rest means do nothing, veg out, shut down, power off, uh, most dangerously become mindless, I just want to ask, can anyone here show me a verse in the Bible that encourages us to be mindless in any way? Anybody show me a verse in the Bible that says we should be listless? Um, how, I know, uninvolved. There's surely a verse in the Bible somewhere that tells the people of God to be uninvolved. Anybody? Okay, well, you're the theologian, so I'm going to take your word for it. Nowhere in God's word does it tell us to become mindless or listless. In fact, it tells us to be mindful at all times. Well, well, how can I be mindful and rest? 
Let me just break it down for you. If you were mindful beforehand, you would find that rest was much easier for you. What do I mean by that? I mean by setting apart time, by, by changing your calendar, by changing your plans, by changing your general outlook on what you need to do in this life, you can come to the place where you simply enter his rest. But it will never happen if you don't make provision for it. Because what we make provision for is what we succeed in in this life. You make provision for the lust of the flesh by watching pornography. And can't figure out why are we all addicted to pornography. It's because it's what you make provision for. I can't lose this last 5 to 75 pounds. Depending on where we're all at. Why? What are you making provision for? Hmm. I'm not sorry if that offended you. Well, okay, I'm sorry, but not sorry. Huh. We need to make provision for rest. Specifically, this Sabbath rest that is a promise for us to walk into, a promise for us to move into, a promise for us to become a partaker of. It's sitting there waiting for us. Rest is sitting at the, in the eyes of every believer. It's right there in front of you. Why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you walking in it? Why aren't you living and moving and having your being in the Sabbath rest that Jesus made available for us? The original language of the Bible, Koine Greek, uses this word when talking about rest, specifically the Sabbath rest. It's, it's katapao. Everyone say katapao. Katapao. And katapao basically means to refrain from or to allow ourselves to be led to a place of quiet habitation, to be still, and probably most importantly, to stop striving. Stop striving. And I think it would be profitable for us to consider this morning that last part of the definition. Stop striving. Now, what does that mean? If you're on a treadmill running flat out, you know, it's a figurative treadmill. It's not a literal treadmill, okay? Ever understand you're on a figurative treadmill this morning. And you are going about as fast as you can go. There's no margin. You're working really, really, really hard. And, and the pastor comes along and brings a great word from God and says, stop it. What will happen if you just plant your feet in faith or whatever other thing you thought should be cool about what God's going to do for you? You more than fall on the face. Most of us will be flung into the wall because the treadmill stops for no man. <laughs> treadmill, treadmill is a honey badger. Treadmill just keeps on going. <laughs> treadmill don't stop for nobody, even if you stop, right? So it would be foolish for us to come to church today and hear a word from God and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, and we're running like idiots on a... Oh, am I allowed to say that? I don't know. Sorry if I said the wrong thing. We're running like a bunch of stupid... Am I allowed to say that? What am I allowed to say that infers the lack of intelligence we have when it comes to how we treat the promises of God? We are insane to think that we can have knee-jerk reactions to what the Holy Spirit says is going to change anything. What Jesus speaks to us about in his word is changing the pattern of our life so that we become more like him. And if we think that we can just uh, twitch and, and we're going to move, we're going to get out of it, going to get over it, I'm sorry, you're going to be sadly disappointed because where change comes is in the presence of God. 
And in the presence of God where we worship, we will find rest. You cannot make this happen faster than it's going to happen. But you can do something to make it happen. Only a fool stops striving running full out on a treadmill. The wise man presses the button to make it slow down. And you can press the button as fast as you want. In fact, I encourage you to press the button faster. Slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. It'll save your life. Verse 9, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from him. Did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. Diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the example of disobedience. This is why I want you to read the whole of uh, Hebrews chapter 4 so you get the whole context of why disobedience leads us to unrest, why disobedience allows us to fail, why disobedience causes us to continue in a way that is contrary to what the Spirit of God is trying to bring into our lives. So how do we do this? I know I just throw Bible at you all the time, and, and there's no, sometimes there's not a real clear answer. So how, how do we do this? And the answer to how we do this, the answer to how we avoid becoming disobedient, the, the example for how we enter his rest comes in the thoughts that follow in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Our tendency is to begin to strive as soon as something kind of ignites in our heart. Right? Oh, you know, Pastor Trav, that was a good word today, and I'm going to change everything right this instant. No, you're not. I hope you're going to change one thing. And that one thing becomes two, and the two become four, and the four become eight. But it starts with changing one thing. It starts with diligence, and it starts with understanding the whole message that God has for you in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. If you do not take the whole of Hebrews chapter 4 in its context, according to its own counsel, you are going to miss the point. Because you know what the church is famous for? The church is famous for gutting the book of Hebrews chapter 4. That chapter is gutted. We know all little single shots of Bible from it. But we fail to understand that the whole chapter is about rest. Well, God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It says it in the Bible. Yes, it does. And what's it talking about? What's its context? Rest. See, we don't know how to rest because in our fallen sinful nature, our tendency is to strive. We know full well without anyone telling us that we have fallen short of God's standard and we live with the guilt of it for most of our lives. We know somehow inside of us that something is misaligned, that something is not right. And our desire, our tendency is to strive. What did Cain and Abel experience? Abel gave freely, but Cain, seeing that God rejected his offer, began to strive. And in the end, he murdered his own brother. Galatians 3.3, just for reference. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? I want us to just very quickly pay attention to this. I'm almost done. You begin in the Spirit. Whose effort do we, whose effort are we begun in? We're begun in the effort of Jesus. We are begun, our beginning is in the effort of of Jesus. It's in the earning of Jesus. He, he paid a price. He earned it for us. 
That's where our beginning is. And so we have these camps that begin to form about not being able to do this or just accepting grace. Or, uh, you know, we, go, we go back and forth. And I love that Galatians 3.3 just kind of forces us to recognize something. After having begun in the Spirit, why are you trying to be perfected by your own human effort? Your own human effort. First of all, human effort will never get you to where you want to be. It is your effort aligned with the effort that Jesus has put in. This is also known as grace. God's grace. That's, that is the example of his effort that can change our lives. I told you that the answers uh, to that question, how do we do this? How do we enter this rest? Actually follow in Hebrews 12 through 16. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I don't know how to rest. Yeah, God's word knows that. Well, how can a Bible, how can a book know that? John chapter 1, verse 1, and the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us because you see the living, active word of God is the person of Jesus. It's the spirit of Jesus. So he knows. The word of God is alive and powerful, and it will divide the questions of your life. What do I do to have more rest, pastor, you're asking the wrong person. I'm only going to tell you what I know by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is just as willing to talk to you. And you might want to sound that off a few mature people from time to time in case you're not hearing the right things. I don't know. But God's word has the answer. Verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. You are not accountable to me for resting. Although the outcome of your choices will affect me and everyone else. But nonetheless, you're not accountable to me, so you can't do this for my sake. You have to do this for the one whom you're accountable to. Verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly, hold firmly to what we believe. Holding firmly to the hope of this promise of rest is absolutely a key to entering into it. Because if you don't hope for it, you'll never have value on going there. So we hope for rest. We hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest, who is Jesus, verse 15, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. In other words, Jesus rested. Jesus did it right. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He was crucified on the cross. And somewhere in all of that, Jesus did not break the commandments of God. In short, I'd like to say it this way. We can't go anything, go through anything that Jesus doesn't understand. And finally, in verse 16, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find the grace to help us when we need it the most. As a recovering stressor, as a recovering perfectionist, as a recovering procrastinator, as a recovering jerk of a husband, failure as a father, as a recovering of all the things that you are or will be at some point in your life, I want us to understand 
that if we can get this concept, if we can understand that resting and knowing the presence of God intimately, that coming to his table and being filled up will increase and will perfect our vision, we can see our world and we can see our opportunities in an entirely different way. If our church remains blind in faith, we will never have the stomach to believe for the things God is putting in front of us. Your marriage can't be healed if you don't rest, if you don't stop striving. Pastor Amy's going to come and close the service. I just want to, I want to leave this with you to sharpen, to have better than 2020 vision. We need to rest. Worship is rest if it's really worship. Don't forget that. Worship is rest if it's really worship. Rest does not mean zero effort. Rest is going to require some effort on your part. And finally, and maybe most importantly, rest is achieved by the grace of God when you make time for it in your life. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.